Welcome back. Welcome in Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. Part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Today is Friday. Time for an extremely in-depth preview for Saturday's game, West Virginia, Texas Tech. So hardcore, it needs Cactus Jack as a guest host. Instead, we have Chris Anderson. Not bad. And I'll, I'll explain to you again at the end why it's not bad. We have a tradition going here, Chris. So I know you're looking forward to the con words at the finish. <laughs> But here we are, a couple of hours before kickoff here. Actually, even later than normal, I guess. I'm thinking it's about a day because we usually have a noon kick. No, weird time. Um, 5.30 Eastern time. I can't remember too many days. I have a really good stat for you in a second. I want to punch it up. But um, this one feels strange in a number of reasons that we'll get into, I'm sure. But um, as you told me a minute ago, wouldn't touch this one if you had some money to throw at it. No, no, no. Three point, three point edge for West Virginia on the line. But I, I, you look at it, and there's certain things that make you say West Virginia should absolutely dominate this game. And then you look at something else, and you say, well, maybe it's going to be different. And then you got the weird times, and then you got a little stat you threw at me about Texas Tech coming off a bye week, and then you got a new quarterback and all this other stuff, and. I wouldn't touch it at all. It, it's. It, I think it's. It, it might. It could be. Absolutely nothing. I think would surprise me. Anywhere from West Virginia winning by twenty, losing by twenty, or this being a a game that comes down to a field goal at the last second. Yeah, I agree. Like there's there's no in between, and then there's everything in between too. It could be could be a crazy day. Um, Texas Tech has never been zero three before in the Big Twelve. Zero three right now. Hasn't been zero four in conference play. So it's pre Big Twelve. Since 1985, nobody playing tomorrow has been alive since that happened. And then here's a great one, too. The last time that Tech kicked off, 4.30 p.m. Central time, was a non-conference game against TCU. Do you know what network that was televised on? Does it still exist? Give me a hint. I don't think so. Don't think Maybe so. I would not know. <laughs> I don't know. The what Outdoor was Life Network. Uh, I was about to say Spike TV. Wasn't that, wasn't that a channel that uh, <laughs> used to carry random things? <laughs> yeah, Outdoor Life Network, 4:30 p.m. And I'm assuming it was on there because all the bass fishing shows were already off the air at that time of the day. <laughs> so, uh, an unusual game for a lot of reasons here too. Um, let's begin on the the one thing that just has has my attention. It's kind of what you just said too. Texas Tech. We had quite a year. The beginning of the season, just a disaster, as you mentioned. Um, 0-3 in the conference, 1-3 overall. The win is, I mean, do you want to put an asterisk against it, I guess? 35-33 against Houston Baptist. A ton of offense on both sides. Their defense was just atrocious. But I also see a team that really worked the transfer market, has a lot of redshirt freshmen, handful of freshmen, too. Second year in the coaching staff, so you figure – they should be better, but we, as we know, the offseason is just totally messed up and it looked really bad. Looked dynamic for 57 minutes against Texas. I know people want to make a big deal out of the final three minutes in overtime, as they should. That counts, but looked just really good. Much improved, collected, organized, effective. And then just fell apart, lost. And I really think at that point that that just takes the sail out of everybody's or the wind out of everybody's sails. And you're just looking for shelter, and they happen to play two of the teams that will beat you up in this league, especially if you make mistakes. And they make plenty with Kansas State and Iowa State, have troubles on offense, and then they finally got a chance to take a break. What do they do? You know, they probably work on who they want to put in, which means these transfers are acclimated. 
a little bit. They have a bunch we'll get to. And they have a plan on what doesn't work. And they just have a chance to just not be reeling like they have been since about the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter against Texas. And the head coach is 8-2 and two after a bye game, which is like, all right, 8-2, and two, he's lost twice. Well, how about the losses? One is the Texas game this year, which if you're going to give an asterisk to the win against Houston Baptist, I think you have to at least consider one for that loss against Texas because it was so unusual. And then one was last year against Oklahoma. Pretty good team. So I kind of feel like he's a good coach. He's got a plan. He can make some things work. He hasn't been impressive so far. But new quarterback, a time to put a plan around him and really rehearse it, get him hot early. I, I feel like the first maybe not even 15 minutes first quarter, I think maybe like the first seven minutes of this game and maybe even the middle of that first quarter are important. First seven for West Virginia and Texas Tech because I think you're going to see a team that comes out hot um, for Texas Tech or they're in trouble. And then, you know, the middle of that first quarter is important because a hot start, who recovers or who extends that hot start? And then if it's not a hot start, can Texas Tech get on track? I feel like the first, like, eight minutes is super important. I, I love that angle. Whoever whoever wins the script, whoever wins the battle of the scripted plays wins this mm-hmm. game. I, I think, think uh, so? I, I, yeah, I think so. I do. I, I think you're exactly right because I think uh, uh, particularly – because from West Virginia's side of things, obviously, offensively, it's been a struggle, I guess is a polite way of saying it, this year. And they're going to get a team that currently ranks about as low as Kansas, maybe worse as far as defense goes. And you know, you know, West Virginia struggled against Kansas, except Texas Tech is better than Kansas. They're not going to be able to fall behind 10-0 and give them the ball back and still have an 80% chance of winning like they did against Kansas. So I think it's important for West Virginia's offense that they come out and score first or, or at least move the ball well. And then on the other side, just as you mentioned, Texas Tech, not one that typically struggles with offense, but they had a hard time. That's why they made a quarterback change. And then they switch to the new quarterback, get a whole week off to prep him, get him ready, drop a game plan. And if they get all that extra time, have a new quarterback, and that's their big fix, and then they come out flat, I think that could just 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 crush them for the rest of the game. And, and, and it'll give West Virginia's defense confidence. And, and, and when that defense gets confidence, it's, it's really good. Watch out, right? Uh, I can't imagine a loss like that Texas one. I just can't. And then I can't imagine playing two weeks in a row after that this season where you just don't have time to do what you need to do to, to clean up your house. And then playing those two teams, too, those are unforgiving teams. Um, and, again, when you're not up to it, you're you're not going to have a chance against them, and that's, that's a, a problem. Do you buy into their schedule being excuse, explanation, enlightening for the record and their performance so far? Because Neil Brown seems to. Yeah. I mean – They've had it tougher. They've certainly played a tougher schedule than West Virginia. There's zero doubt about that. But, I I mean, they've had some time in there. That Houston Baptist game, I can't – when I was trying to do my analysis, my, my three key matchups, and I was going back trying to figure out who some of these matchups were, they looked terrible. Houston Baptist should have should have won that game. I mean, they lo- Houston Baptist lost by two, but threw for almost 600 yards and turned it over twice in the red zone. <laughs> like, they could have had two more touchdowns. I, I, it's it's blowing my mind that, that that was even a game. And I think Houston Baptist had 600 yards, turned it over twice in the red zone, and was down, like, 12 points in late in the second half. I mean, it ended up being a two-point game, but that that was not 
a great sign for their their season. I felt really down on them after that game. Texas made me feel a little bit better, but hey, they had time. They haven't shown anything much so far. I think their best performance was, like you said, that Texas game, and they fell flat and gave it up and lost it. So not real confident. Debilitating. Debilitating. A couple of storylines here we all want to get to. One, we have a shadow offensive line. Don't know who's there. We just have shadows. I don't I don't get this. It makes zero sense to me. I don't want to be the grouchy journalist, but Neil Brown says that Brandon Yates, James Gemitter, Zach Frazier, Chase Barrett, Mike Brown, and John Hughes are gonna play a lot. Five of them are gonna start. He won't say who's starting. I don't understand why. <laughs> he goes on his radio show and has this nugget that's not really a nugget. It just because everybody knows who the top six are, I think. I can't imagine that. Frazier or Gaminer doesn't know who's starting right now. I'm sure they've repped with the ones all week, and maybe they split their reps, but I'm sure he's pulled one aside and said, pulled them aside and said, hey, you're starting, you're, you're going to play. There's no way the Texas Tech is changing its game plan because James Gaminer is starting instead of Frazier or vice versa. Um, but it sounds like Gaminer's back, which is good news, obviously. We, we just weren't sure about that. We don't know about his situation, but not a surprise, but not bad news that you're, in theory, your best offensive line before the start of the season is back. And they're going to consolidate this, I guess. I mean, they're probably going to play somebody at backup tackle. I'm going to imagine that they're going to play somebody at right guard that really don't need to. But um, six is a number that works. It's their best six, I think. they got to get to eight, or they have to find a way to make seven act like eight. And by that means maybe someone plays both tackles or both guards. I don't know. But um, I think they're going to have issues, I guess, maybe. Because I think they're going to get attacked by the Texas Tech defense, and we can get into that as we go along here. But um, that just seems to be what Texas Tech does because they're offensive, they're defensive coordinator. But what do they do about the edges? You think that's a, anything? There's, there's no seven or eight there. You know what I mean? How do they fortify those two spots? They're just going to roll with those two and see if it works. I get the sense that they're going to roll with it. I I found it very strange. I guess strange is not the right word. I'm not I'm not sure how I felt about it, but it, it, it raised an eyebrow, made me think twice about it when, you know, again, we, we brought this up, but when kind of caught Neil Brown um, slipping a little bit when he mentioned that uh, Chase Barrett was prepping for the game and had not prepped for guard or, or for center leading up to that game before James Gamitter was was tested positive on Friday. Uh, and again, indicated that he was practicing outside and it was, wait, is he left tackle, right tackle? And then just said that they weren't doing that anymore. And I think our assumption was, or at least my assumption was, that Brandon Yates had done a decent enough job in that one game that they said, okay, we, we don't need to completely bail on him at left tackle. Is, is that how you took that? Right. Yeah. And so, but... I don't. I still don't know what the answer is on the outside because I'm still of the belief that Zach Frazier is one of the top five linemen. Got to get him in there. He's got to play inside. And I still think maybe you try to find Gamitter outside or Barrett outside. I don't think you can move Mike Brown out there. Um, but where do you move him? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think you can rotate these guys all around inside, outside, left side, right side. You have to find some uniformity. But the problem is I'm not sure there's a seventh or eighth lineman that you feel comfortable rotating around right now. 
Yeah, I think you go with your tackles as long as you can, your right guard and your center as long as you can. I'm like you. I really don't like flopping my center around during a game unless they stink. Because if yeah. you have two bad ones, all right, that's fine. But if you have a good one, let them go. I, I think it's probably unreasonable to expect Gamitter to play 80 snaps mm-hmm. right now. Maybe eventually, but maybe coming back, that's too much. I would expect Frazier to start and Gamitter to play some. Because um, I don't think it's great to have Frazier playing a ton of snaps so far. I mean, he's played a lot. Um, and they're going to need him, especially because we have this string of games without a break. So... I could see them splitting up here, too. Um, hey, did you know Jared Daigie's brother played quarterback for Neil Brown at Texas Tech? I'm just going to wear this. I did not. I did not know that. I did not did, know that Neil Brown was a coach at Texas Tech when they did he have, played West Virginia. Did, did he have that? camps? Did he have camps and, and entertain Charlie Brewer and Jared Daigie? I, Someone told me that. You know, sure. I, I think I think in the post game we should ask Neil Brown about it so he can talk about it for another 10, 12 minutes. Oh my God. Um I mean I, and, I, and this isn't a knock on Neil Brown. He has asked the questions and he is answering them. But it, 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 I, I said it on our board. I was like, this is this is turning into the Dana thing all over again. Where I, I kind of <laughs> like Texas Tech. I love our Texas Tech writers, they're great guys. And but we get to Texas Tech week and I just want to bang my head against the wall because all it is is Hey, did you know this WVU coach used to be at Texas Tech? Tell us a story. Mm. And that's it for every press conference. Look, he's been under siege, not Neil, Jared Dagey, just for whatever reason. His performance has not been up to really lofty standards set by him, or set for him by outsiders during a really long offseason when people had a ton of time to look into the minutia and talk about how he's the most accurate returning passer who only started three games last season, whatever the qualifications were. He was number one, number two, and all these things. Um, it just hasn't been quite there yet. Could he get better? Sure. But this is, a, I think, is clearly a big moment for him, too. His pulse hovers around, like, 42, 43, though. I don't think he gets too excited about stuff. I know they want him to be neutral and not get up or down. It seems like he's that way. Um, he's got a lot going on in offense that he has to worry about besides the fact that he's you know, playing in a stadium that his brother played in that he went to a lot of games in. I'm not I'm not too worried about this, but I do think that it could be a factor where, you know, he wants it so much that it could negatively, it could positively affect him. I don't I don't know how much of a factor it is. What do you think? I don't think so. I, I it, it's not even honestly, it wasn't even something that was on my radar before it was brought up the other day. I mean, I obviously am aware of the connections there, but but it's not like he was born and raised and spent his entire life there. And that's like all he knows. He moved around a little bit. That's not, he's not completely and totally tied to Lubbock. So it's not something that even crossed my mind. I think until I started talking to our Texas tech writers and they, they asked me about it. And uh, so, no, I don't think it'll be that big of a factor. I mean, maybe he gets a little bit of the jitters uh, walking out to the stadium for the first time or something, but nah. Finally, we have the Sam James saga. Um, people are asking this week about, hey, are you giving up on him? You know, how, or why have you not given up on him? Um, is this an issue or why is it an issue? And as as we pointed out on Monday's Q&A podcast, the value of that late touchdown pass, getting him in the game, getting him like a gadget play that's going to work, and it did, and maybe that helps him out. I think a lot of people are thinking this is a big game for him, and if he doesn't play well, there's something punitive coming. I think if you look at the stats, that's already happened. Like he lost a lot of snaps last week, um, played darn near all the snaps against Baylor. And I think we agreed it wasn't that bad. And then for whatever reason, he played a little bit more than Ollie Jennings and Sam Brown played not quite as much as Ollie Jennings, but certainly played 
you know, around two dozen snaps. It looks like that they're already cutting into his playing time a little bit, but this is a defense he torched last year. Uh, 14 catches, 223 yards, I believe. It might be off on that, but a lot of catches and a lot of yards. Didn't get in the end zone, but um, good momentum from last week. We said a team that he's had success against before. Just the trouble is that this isn't new for him. He hasn't overcome it, gotten out of it yet. I think that the corrective measures are already taking place. Again, I wouldn't overlook the fact that he lost snaps, and I wouldn't look to overlook the fact that they got him a play because they want to get him right. I think they're paying a lot of attention to him, too. What do you think we see out of Sam James? Is is this the segment of our podcast that's supposed to be sponsored by FanDuel or DraftKings or something? Where we would pick oh, our, you want to do a little our, player our, prop? A sleeper, a sleeper pick uh, okay. for, your, for your team. Um, yeah, I would buy low on Sam James right now. You know, as you mentioned, stock kind of dropping just because of his snaps going down, some drops last week. But this is a game, as as you said, 223 yards last year, 14 catches, expecting it to be a lot of passes thrown. And I think you can see him. I, you know, I don't expect that. I don't expect the 14 catches, 223, not, not at all. But I expect probably his best game of the year. Which again, not, not saying too much. hasn't had hasn't had a, a big breakout game yet, but that last touchdown, you called it out in the post game, brought it up. He caught it, and then that was the end of his day, period. And it was just going out on a high note. This is the you know you had drop, 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 benched, and then touchdown. Hey, let's go party. And that's all he's got to remember now is that he ended it with a touchdown pass, a very solid touchdown pass um, or catch. And I think he can ride it high and and going against a very soft secondary. It might be able to help him get on track like for the rest of the way, but we'll see. I like and again, it's not that they gave him the touchdown pass. So he get like his third or fourth catch of the day or he get in the end zone. He had no catches at that point and his day probably could have been over. And they put him back in, and they, and they think that says a lot about what they're trying to get going with him, and also what they know they have going on with him, which is not entirely great right now, too. Let's start on. Um, let's start with the offense for West Virginia against the Texas Tech defense because it's a lot more fun. Um, this is a really bad defense. It looks like so far has not had any success. There's some scary numbers against the pass, but disruptive defensive lineman potentially tackling machines at linebacker, and then. Some guys at corner that I just like, like they have an all conference kind of guy in Adrian Fry, who's a backup at one position. The other corner position, their depth chart has three oars. And then they have kind of, I mean, shaky safety so far. Um, West Virginia's receivers need to have a big day, could have a big day. I think you're going to see a lot of them in there and really working these guys too. And if you're worried about James, look at what happened with Bryce Ward Wheaton too. Um, played with him during his down moments, had a pretty good game last game too. I think that's the trajectory they want for Sam James. That's why people probably buy into this being a good game for him, too. But, um, man, if they can't get it going in the pass against these guys, I think we have serious questions about the passing game. Question is, can they get it going against this pass defense? Yeah, uh, that in my key matchups thing, I pointed specifically to the deep left and, and middle of the field for West Virginia to attack, which is not exactly – West Virginia strong suit. It's not really truly a strong suit for a lot of right-handed quarterbacks because, obviously, when you drop back, as a right-handed quarterback to throw the ball, you're kind of you're you're facing the right-hand side. So in order to throw it to the left, you you need to turn your body. You need to actively make sure you're looking that way, um, which is not always natural. Uh, it just naturally happens less. And 
But Houston Baptist had a right-handed quarterback. It wasn't a problem for them. And they found success on an early deep pass there and just went back again and again and again. Just to the 10-plus yards left middle. Nowhere else on the field. 16 of 20 for four, <laughs> 442 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, uh, 28 yards a completion. I mean, that's and, – and again, when I went back and looked at it, and you mentioned them kind of rotating guys around at cornerback, every single one of those deep passes was against a different guy. It was uh, – you know, the first one was – uh, cornerback number 24, and then it was number 25, then it was number 8, and then it was number 27. And it didn't matter. Like, no matter how they rolled that defense around, they were getting torched. And I think we've seen, by the way, um, <clears throat> familiar face alert, Keith Patterson. Oh, coordinator boy. At Texas Tech. He, you mentioned it. He's been rotating guys around trying to find what fits, and that one cornerback spot has changed almost every single game. I, I think they've had, in four games, they've had three different starters at that spot. So he's obviously not happy with what's going on over there. No one's really stepping up and it should be a spot that West Virginia should target. Now I know I just said Sam James could have a big day, but that's Bryce Ford Wheaton side, you know, where he lines up as the left receiver uh, 99% of the time. And, and that's an area that he can really target and Jared Daigie can find him. Yep. Left guy tends to do well on deep balls, too, because if it takes time to get your eyes over there, he can run a vertical route. I'm with you 100% there, too. Um, I, I I like their defense on paper. Eli Howard's, I think he's about 28, 29 now, right? Yeah. Feels like he's been there forever. He's had a sack in every game he's played against West Virginia. His backup is that Tyree Wilson, who's somehow eligible, but A&M, big-time recruit. They like him a lot. Hutchins in the middle is a handful, and that's going to be an all-conference guy. Behind him... Rico Jeffers had a huge game against West Virginia last year. Linebacker, I think two forced fumbles, five tackles. Krishan Merriweather is one of your major impact junior college transfers. A lot of tackles. Colin Schooler, uh, also, did you know he was teammates with Tony Fields? I might have heard something about that this week. So their front is good. But God, their secondary is a mess right now. It's for everything you just mentioned here, too. Um, middle of the field is, is fun. Um, we get enamored with the deep ball. That's not what West Virginia does well right now. Perhaps Saturday's the day. But when Krishan Merriweather and Rico Jeffers are in coverage, mm -hmm. they've been targeted 11 times. They've allowed 11 receptions for 126 yards and a touchdown, and they've committed three penalties. That, 11 of 11 with three penalties. Is that is that bad, Mike? Is that bad? That's yeah, 2012 that's, bad. That's what that, that is. That makes me think you're going to see some running backs and tight ends involved here. As you mentioned, the middle of the field, it seems like it could be a Winston Wright, Reese Smith, TJ Simmons, if he's available kind of game. Um, but again, it's not just that. Now we go outside. Like, let's talk about Fry, who a lot of people had preseason all Big 12, if not first team, then certainly honors. Nine for 12 when he's targeted. 88 yards, two touchdowns. Um, Zach McPherson, who's the guy who's starting over Fry. Prepare for this. 14 attempts, 14 completions and 19 attempts, 144 yards, two touchdowns, three pass interference penalties. And then Eric Monroe is supposed to be this quality safety from LSU, bring some championship experience, cover the SEC teams. One of their coaches is from LSU as well. I don't believe it's their safety coach. I think it's a linebacker's coach. Just came over this year too. Anyways, when Monroe is in coverage, 15 for 20 for 196 yards and a touchdown. A lot of this damage is done early in the season. It still happened. Um, they haven't 
faced explosive offenses the last two weeks. We can argue about Iowa State's, but Iowa State still scored 31 unanswered points, did a lot of damage to the air. Um, I, I, I kind of believe this is a trend here. I like their front. I think they can do some things, but, man, if they can block the front, which is a question we'll get to, um, I think they can have a field day through the air. Here's a question for you, Mike. If you defended 20 passes, are you giving up 19 catches and 150 yards, or do you think you can do better than what Texas Tech defenders are doing right now? <laughs> I, can, I can do better. And, and <laughs> true, to your, true to your everybody in the pool kind of mentality, uh-huh. they've given up 16 passing touchdowns. Pro football focus puts at least one on 13 defenders. <laughs> <laughs> two guys have two, uh, Fry, Leggett, and McPherson, like it's their other safety too. So two corners and a safety have given up two, and then ten other guys have given up at least have all given up one touchdown. It's remarkable how how much they've shared this. It's a hot potato of incompetence right now. Like, again, and if it doesn't happen, then did Texas Tech take better? Perhaps. Again, lots of transfers, lots of people in new roles. It might take time, and they got some time. It also might be West Virginia too. What else do you see offense, defense, West Virginia, Texas Tech? West Virginia offense, Texas Tech defense. Uh, I mean, I do we do we have to go in depth on Eli Howard? I, I think we know how how troublesome he can be. Like he, he's going to be a problem. He's a main guy, man. He's a tough pass rusher. He is. He is a problem. Um, number two in the Big Twelve Conference with pressure so far, and he's going to be going up against what I think we can all agree is like the the, the weakness of the offensive line, which is going to be the edges and. Uh, by the looks of it, he he switches like their their defensive front switches based on how the offense lines up because he, according to Pro Football Focus and some of the film I've seen, is that he comes from the left side and the right side. So it's not like he's going to pick on just one. I think um, he's going to cause a problem for for Hughes and for uh, Yates, which then might cause West Virginia. You know, it's a domino effect. If you can't handle him one on one, then you have to help somehow. And if you have to help somehow, then that either takes one lineman, another lineman out, like say the left guard coming out to help Yates, or you're going to have to bring in a tight end, which then removes one of the receivers, which then causes a problem with that, and so on and so forth. So it's he might be the key to Texas Tech's defense slowing down whatever West Virginia is trying to do. I like it. Spur has been a problem for them, too. They've had a bunch of guys in there. And, and as we know, when you've got a good one, which is basically kind of like what Tyke Smith is for West Virginia, they, they all have different names. But their Spur has been trouble this year. He's been picked on and picked out a bunch this year. So, um, oddly enough, though, all the defensive metrics for Texas Tech aren't great. They're 18 in pass rush, according to Pro Football Focus, and 16 in tackling. Um, they can get after you. Which again, that's a concern for the for the offensive line for West Virginia. I imagine they could probably disrupt the run too, but um, and they tackled it pretty secure. Just the trouble is, and that ball's in the air, they've had a hard time with it. They are seventy three out of seventy seven teams in coverage. So again, giant fluorescent arrows pointing over the corners, the spear, the safeties, and again, chuck it. Hope it's not too windy because I guess that's a apparently it gets windy in Lubbock too. I've heard it too. Lots yeah. of uh, lots of discoveries today of things we haven't heard of too. You want to flip right. scripts, go defense, offense. If you have anything else about the offense, any X factors you want to bring up? Seems like we haven't even mentioned perhaps the strength of the offense, which is the running game. But have we already reached the point where we kind of figure that Liddy Brown, Alex Singfield, perhaps somebody else, likely not, they're, they're going to be, they're going to have a day that makes you say, okay, that wasn't the reason that we lost, or they're going to have a day that says, hey, that's the reason we won. Yeah, I think. 
Yeah, I, I'm kind of indifferent on what's going to happen there. I'm not as high on what this offense, what this rushing offense is, as as some people are. Um, I guess it's all relative because if you're better than if if you rank 129th out of 130 teams, and then you get to average this year, uh, that seems pretty darn good, and it is pretty darn good. So I think West Virginia would take it if they can just have an average to slightly above average running game, which I think is what they have. And it just kind of feels like, and there's a lot of talk around it, like it's a top 10 rushing offense. And it's not, which is fine. But like you said, it's, I don't think there's going to be a game this year where we're going to look at it and say, well, that rushing offense cost us the game, which is kind of what you're hoping, all you're hoping for right now. Yeah, there's not a defense out there, I don't think, unless they maybe get to Iowa State. Um, that's, That's a long time from now, too. So maybe not so worried about that. Um, yeah, it just feels so weird because it was so bad last year, but we kind of have this situation now where you think, all right, they do enough things well, they're going to run zone, they're going to have good enough blocking, they can make things work. Um, can they get an 87-yard touchdown when they need it? I don't know, but I do feel like that. I'll be, I'll be curious to see what Patterson does. There's always some mad signs with him involved, having covered him for two years and, and talked to him a lot. That was one guy who always wanted to stop and talk about X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's and things like that. So I, I've been inside his head a little bit. I always thought he'd try to do a ton. And when I listened to Jared Parker talk this week, he kind of mentioned that you got to be ready for so many things because they show so many things, not only from game to game, but within a game too. Perhaps that's part of the struggle, but perhaps he's figured out what they're good at. And I wonder about this. Um, do you, they bail a little bit from the line and try to help their secondary. Or do you think that they kind of load the box and say, listen, this isn't Texas. This isn't Houston Baptist, <laughs> which sounds so funny. These are, this is not a dynamic passing game. You guys got to hold up. We can't get beat by number four and number 20 running the ball. I kind of feel like that if they're going to lean one way, and I expect they might be more base than anything else with some exotic looks, but I kind of feel like they're going to try to stop the run and make and see if their corners and safeties can hold up. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You wrote a story the other day about strength versus strength at the point of attack, defensive line for West Virginia, offensive line for Texas Tech. What is weakness versus weakness? West Virginia's deep pass versus Texas Tech's deep secondary. I mean, I think if you're Texas Tech, if I'm I'm Keith Patterson, I'm – I'm leaning like 60-40 towards packing the box a little more. I'm not completely going, you know, zero coverage or just so man, no help. But I'm saying, you know, there's absolutely nothing 
Daggy or West Virginia has shown me that they can that they can be Houston Baptist. <laughs> like you said, yeah. it sounds yeah. it sounds crazy, but there's nothing West Virginia has shown so far that shows that they can be Houston Baptist. So I'd lean more towards packing the box and saying, try to beat me deep. And if you start hitting those passes, then I'll adjust. Yep. And that's why that spear position, I think, is important, too, because he's kind of an extra box defender. Um, he can also play the pass, whatever. We've seen Tyke Smith play really mean against the run. He's become a very effective blitzer. He can obviously cover. He's almost playing nickel. Um, but they they just haven't got one there. If you want to watch somebody here, look for Kosey Eldridge or Jacob Morgenstern or Demarcus Fields. Uh, they're all listed as a possible starter. Or do they do something else? Do they move somebody else? Like, I mean, maybe they play Monroe closer. Maybe they play Leggett closer. Perhaps they put somebody else um, who's who's a, I don't know, perhaps Fry. Maybe they move him in because he can cover and maybe play the tackle or tackle a little bit in the box. I don't know. That position's going to be important, I think, too. Let's flip it here. Um, Wait, hold on offense. before we switch. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. I got a, a little trivia for you based off what we were just talking about before we switch from West Virginia defense to Texas Tech offense. 75 teams have played multiple games so far this year at the FPS okay. level. Out of those 75 teams, give me a guess on where you think West Virginia ranks in yards per run, yards per attempt on rushing. Are we talking the Neil Brown? I'm talking I'm talking rushing? this year. Yeah, this year. No, so no, no. Yeah, I don't know. This is this is standard NCAA rules. I'm going to say 50. Close. Yeah, you, you've proven my point a little bit. I It was 37, like I said, out of th- 37 out of 75 teams. So it right square in the middle. And that's kind of where I think West Virginia, you know, is, is, is an average running team, which when you're basically dead last last year, feels like a huge win. And, mm-hmm. and it should feel like a huge win, I guess. Yep. I take an 87-yard run out there, too. I know it counts, but that also inflates that quite a bit. So, yeah, yep, I, I'm with you. Um, all right, now let's go to the other side here, the other matchup. And this is where I mentioned strength versus strength is the West Virginia defensive line against the Texas Tech offensive line. Texas Tech's offensive line is rated pretty well, um, 41 in run blocking, 56 in pass blocking. But it's what they're, they're built to do. Their guard-center guard combination is very good. Dawson Deaton, unfortunately, is the second-best center in the conference because – of the Oklahoma center, but Jack Anderson was a preseason all-conference guy. He's played every snap at right guard this year. Weston Wright was pretty good last year as a freshman. He's back as a sophomore, and it looks like they hit on the transfer market. They're starting left tackle as a junior college transfer. They're starting right tackle as a guy from Wofford who's had some issues, given up 12 pressures. So that's something for Dante Stills and Akeem Mesador, Jeffrey Poole to work on. Maybe even Jared Bartlett as well. I think that's the guy that you probably look at because he's had some trouble with some guys, but they hit. They're getting a lot of snaps and a lot of um, productivity out of those two in the edges, and their middle is pretty good. More importantly, from left to right, six 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 eight, or excuse me, six eight six 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 five six four. They're big. They're long, and it's not the same crew that got after West Virginia last year. In fact, I think just Deaton and Wright played, but the same mentality, the same line coach, the same build frame mentality. Um, and the ball doesn't stay in the pocket very long. It's either moving or the quarterback's moving. Trouble is, they haven't run the ball very well, too. Just a total mixed bag, um, ups and downs from the first couple of games. And they're running back. They're really good running back. Sir Roderick Thompson, 60 yards the last two games. And we haven't really seen much from Chadarius Townsend, who was kind of one of those impact transfers from Alabama. Um, didn't see the field a whole lot there. Hasn't seen it here. He has two carries the last two games. Um, but big up front, and more importantly, big receivers, too. 
the X is 6'3", the Z is 6'6", the tight end 6'5". Their backups are all about the same size, too. I think where you begin, though, is the quarterback position. They make a change. Alan Bowman out. Henry Columbia in. Um, that was another guy that was kind of a sneaky acquisition in the transfer market, post-grad transfer from Utah State. He spent two years, two seasons, one redshirt, one playing at Utah State under Matt Wells and the offensive coordinator, David Yost. Um, he was there again last year when Texas Tech was here, but um, not a surprise that when he hit the transfer portal, he ended up there. And probably not a surprise that they they got him into some games once because they had to, once because they wanted to see if they had something. And he responded both times. He's looked pretty good. Accuracy is his hallmark. On the offensive line that you mentioned versus West Virginia's defensive line, I think I think this is a matter of pride. And and a lot of these yes. guys on this defensive line are are very prideful, as well they should be. And and they're gonna remember that they they got manhandled last year. And it's a lot of the same guys. Uh, you know, what what Reese Reese Donahue's gone, uh Ruben Jones, I think, was playing uh, an okay amount at that point, but you still got the Stills brothers and Pooler um as the starters, and they were very much involved in that game last year, played a lot of snaps and they, you know, we've seen Darius Stills respond to kind of, I don't want to say criticism from Neil Brown, you know, just about his preparation stuff and kind of pushing him to, to be proud of, of, of his play and, and, and working hard and getting better. And he, and Brown has said that Darius's best couple games here recently have been because of his preparation. And I think, I, I don't want to say hope, but you know, I'm assuming here that he's going to be prepping for this game more than any so far, just because of what happened last year and how easily that offensive line for Texas Tech handled them. And the problem is not the problem, but there's not going to be a lot of stats, as you noted. Uh, they get rid of the ball quick. You're not going to get a lot of sacks in that situation when, when you're throwing the ball quick and you're rolling out and your quarterback can move. Is sacks are not going to be a big number, but you can cause pressure. You can be the one, the defensive line can be the one that causes the incompletion. And I think that's, that's kind of where the film is going to say if the defensive line improved more so than sacks and tackles for losses. Yeah. Have um not in the sense of, have you seen him play? Have you seen Henry Columbia? Not. Their, their third string quarterback is Maverick McIver. If you That's put fantastic, if you put Columbia, Bowman, and McIver in a line, and you said one of these three is Maverick McIver, you, me, and eight other people in a line of ten would have pointed at Columbia and said, "That's Maverick McIver." <laughs> yes, yes, he yes, looks just, like a Maverick McIver. The long oh. hair, he's got some swagger to him. I don't know how Maverick McIver isn't the starting quarterback at Texas Tech. That's it's a crime. Or how he's not a starting quarterback in the Big 12. It's Columbia, though. Um, and again, they're calling this a dual threat guy. And did you happen to catch who Jamal Adai? He didn't liken him to him, but he agreed and said, that's exactly right. That's who he reminds me of. Do you happen to hear the comp? No, I was off doing the Neil Brown thing. What was that? Your boy, Charlie Brewer. <laughs> oh, so Columbia's going to be the second best quarterback in the Big 12? Is that what you're telling me? Columbia's going to be like 12 for 26 for <laughs> like 204 yards, and he's going to have six carries for eight yards and a touchdown. There you go. If I think you West Virginia would take that. Yeah, uh, probably too. Um, yeah, he's he's been interesting, and he's always – this is what, again, concerns you if you're worried about the effect of a bye week. They got him in last week, not this week. So he practiced during the open week. He practiced this week. 
he knows the offense and they, they know him. They can script it. Like you said, the battle of the scripts, that's important. Going um, third of the big, tall receivers who can make him look good. He's an accurate guy. He's north of 70% for his career, and he doesn't throw it to the other team very much. Trouble is, he hasn't played a whole lot before this season. He's played 91 snaps this year. His numbers already this season are pretty much comparable to his first two years in college, but just does it what, what he's supposed to do. Um, smart, gets rid of it. Um, pretty much what they said. Is he doing zone read stuff? I don't know. He's RPO in a bunch, which everybody does, and he's probably hitting the people like he needs to. Um He's play action, though, too, which is what they're probably trying to do, especially as they have these receivers who can get open and give them targets. He's 13 to 17 for 133 yards on play action. That's pretty good. Um, Boma was not doing that. Boma was having a hard time and just wasn't as effective. I think they like that. Uh, and then he doesn't panic, too. Uh, under pressure, 6 for 9, 45 yards. When he's blitzed, 3 for 3 for 35 yards and a touchdown. Um, and as you mentioned, getting the ball out, here are the pro football focus numbers. 2.17 seconds from snap to pass. He's only in the pocket for two and a half seconds. And and here's the tricky one, too, which is probably where the Brewer stuff comes in and, and you know, that plaster coverage where when the guy breaks the pocket, if you're a defensive player, you go get the guy who's closest to you. You break off your coverage, and if, you got, if you're a corner and you see a running back close to you, you go get him and you trust that you just like, abandoned. Well, that doesn't happen. You have a problem. But, listen, he breaks the pocket at 4.29 seconds. Bowman was about four and a half. Um, what does that tell me? That means that when he has time, He's an effective passer, and that's what he's been so far. Um, he also creates that time, too. They want him getting rid of the ball, and he does. He's pretty good at that. But he's going to move around and probably stretch that pocket and stretch that defense. It's going to be one of those eye-discipline games, one of those, you know, mind your assignments. And when the when the action gets outside, remember what you're supposed to do and pick up your teammates. So if you make a mistake, they don't make a mistake, too. Um, I think he's a little bit dangerous because he's a devil you don't know right now. I'm going to have to ask you where you find these uh, stats on PFF for the the pocket numbers. I like those numbers. 2.1 seconds. That is, I mean, that's quick. Like, yeah. obviously, obviously it's quick, but that, like, I mean, I think, uh, what, what would you say an average is? Like, four seconds, three seconds? I think you typically try to tell quarterbacks to get rid of the ball before you get to four seconds, but two seconds is... 2.1 is, is tough. Yeah. yeah, that's what they that's what they mentioned about him. So like everybody from Brown to Leslie to Adai said, hey, he gets rid of the ball fast. It doesn't stick in his hand. They get rid of it. Um, and I was so, so pro football focus does have that when I looked at it. And it's good. I mean, that's a good number there that, you know, if it doesn't take him a lot of time. Here's the trouble. Bowman was too flat. Two seconds flat. And he's getting rid of it. Just that he's sure. not as effective when he gets it. So um, listen, when, when Columbia has time. This is what is deceiving about him. He's 13 to 14 when he's got two and a half more seconds. So he's effective, obviously, getting rid of the ball fast. He's not ineffective when he has the ball in his hands. So I don't know what that means about him. We don't know a whole lot about him. That's obviously the wild card right now, too. But the numbers don't tell you anything. They don't give you a beat on him, except that, you know, he looks like he might be kind of a a playmaker-ish kind of guy. Uh, But I'm sure he's going to be tucked in. And, listen, he knows what he's doing out there because he's not a stranger to this. And that that prep time helps. I think that he's a guy you can probably – Probably rely on to not lose you the game. Can he get hot and win you the game? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be. I, I don't. I don't think they're going to put the game in his hands and say we need you to complete thirty-five passes for four hundred yards. I don't think that's what they have right now. Uh, one guy we do know, and I, I think I, I marked it as. I, I, again, we don't know what Columbia is, so I, I didn't put too much stock into that in my uh, three key matchups thing. He hasn't played too terribly much, even when he was at Utah State. He was he's sparingly saw the field, but 
we know running back Sir Roderick Thompson. And you mentioned he, he struggled the last last game, last two games maybe. And even with that, still, according to Pro Football Focus, the most elusive running back in the entire conference by a fairly large margin. Um, you know, people, myself included, seem to think that Letty Brown is is doing, you know, a good job of avoiding tackles and getting yards after contact. Uh, Letty Brown's elusive rating, 69.1. And he's averaging 3.08 yards after contact. Sir Roderick Thompson, his elusive rating is 110.2 <laughs> and is averaging 3.8 yards after contact. So he is he is a tough man to get down. Um, and, and this is, again, this is after being completely shut down by uh, Iowa State last game. Six carries, 14 yards. So uh, he, he's he's been doing some damage, and I think... It's going to be key for really a lot of different people, but I, I put the focus on Tony Fields, and you've written about this already, about you know everybody, oh, Tony Fields is amazing, tons of counting stats. He's been very good, but the one thing that, that, that's been, I don't want to say bothering the coaches, but the one thing they've been trying to fix is keeping gap integrity, keeping him on the right line. You wrote about him kind of keeping the train on the tracks. Uh and if he's in the wrong lane, if he's out of control, Thompson's going to make him pay. And so I think it's that's the key matchup for me outside of whatever Columbia can do, because I have no clue what Columbia can do. But outside of that, that that's the key matchup for me, is, is can Fields and other guys there in the middle, you know, even Tyke Smith, the other linebackers, can they keep Thompson in front of them? Can they re- limit hit the number of his yards after carry? Can they limit missed tackles and, and get the guy down before he gets a first down or breaks a big one? Yeah, again, because if, if, if you give Columbia an accomplice, he's going to be more effective. If you make him one-dimensional, it's going to be harder for him. I'm, I'm sure they want to stop the run. They want to make him beat him. I'm not sure that, that he can do that, but I don't know if he can. Um, West Virginia, by PFF standards, the number one rush defense – number three in coverage, number four in tackling, number three overall. Um, if you're in the crosshairs, you're in a bad spot because they're going to get you down and they're going to tackle you and they're going to probably do a number on you before you get down the field too much too. So they're going to have to find a way to run against them. They'd like to run the middle. And what Leslie talked about and what Neil Brown talked about was that they ran just like inside zone and ran maybe two or three different plays or variations of it and just beat them up in the middle last year. I went back and looked at the stats and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have them here. It's not embarrassing. It wasn't 200 yards rushing. Um, but when they needed to get a first down, when they need to move the ball or control it, remember, because West Virginia did rally and get back into that game a little bit. Um, but they just had a good game plan inside. And that's where I think that they're going to really challenge the Dante Stills, Darius Stills, Jeff Pooler, is that, listen, do not let them run in the middle on us. Spill it outside. We got guys who can, you know, flood those alleys and, you know, Smith and Chandler and Fields. You're not going to outflank them around the corner. If you can hold up in the middle, hey, this will be fine, and we'll get out the field, and we'll get on the bus, and we'll go to the airport, and it'll be all good. But a 75-yard run so far this year over left guard, a 49-yard run so far this year over the right guard. Uh, the 75-yarder was by Thompson. The 49-yarder was by the backup, Xavier Wright. So they don't have a problem handing the ball to either one and expecting something good to happen when it goes to the middle. And as you mentioned, their guard center guard, effective, definitely the strength of their offensive line. Um but I'm, I'm with you. Like I think if they can, if they can just hold up that middle, I don't think you're getting on the edges against them doing a whole lot of damage. No, that was, you know, that's what we talked about with the Kansas game 
typically in the spread offense, the run, the rushing is up the middle. You attack the middle, you spread the defense out, and then attack the hole in the middle. And Kansas, I'm assuming due to you know limited capabilities by their personnel, just kept trying to get outside, and it just wasn't happening against West Virginia. So, um, our you know when our guy asked me if I were the offensive coordinator for Tech, how would I attack this West Virginia defense? I said, by going vertical, going straight ahead, either in the running game, but specifically, and I mentioned specifically the passing game, you know, going deep, trying to attack those corners out on the outside edges uh, towards the sidelines, and then running up the middle. Because I think if you can, if you can keep it vertical by rushing the ball in the middle, you're going to try to keep those safeties in towards inside the hash marks. And then, so you run up the middle and then you throw it towards the sidelines deep. So you can try to get those cornerbacks on an island. And I think that's that's a way to attack West Virginia's defense. And, and that's going to force guys like Tony Fields Nick, in, the, in the middle and Nick Troy Fortune and Dreshawn Miller on the outside to win one-on-ones, which might be tough to do when you have Thompson, one of the most elusive running backs in the, in the country, and receivers for Texas Tech that are, as Neil Brown said, look like a basketball team, all 6'3", six, 6'5", six, and can jump up and catch everything. Yeah, uh, don't sleep on their tight end. I know people are going to talk about Nathan Vasher, not Nathan Vasher, TJ Vasher. He's 6'6". They made that circus catch against Keith Washington there two years ago that I still think about what a great play that was. Um, and then Eric Ezukanma, I believe is his name. Um, those are two big outside guys. I think people like him. They have not done much of their tight end. I think he has six catches here. Yeah, six for 60. But he's he looks like he's fluid and he can move. And, and where do teams pick on West Virginia sometimes just for gotcha plays? It's a, it's a tight end up the seam. It's a wheel or something like that. Um, hey, Mike, did you know Jason Marrow used to play for Texas Tech? I've heard that, yes. yes. You've heard that too? Okay. Uh, the other thing is is Thompson has 13 catches. Like They do involve him. So yeah. that's Most in the thing. Big 12. Um, most in the Big 12 among running backs. Just yeah, ahead so, of Letty Brown. And again, he's, again, just, I, I make a similar comparison here too. Those are guys who – as you mentioned, their stats are somewhat similar there, but they're good receivers. And just get them a handoff out in the perimeter with a pass or something that can make it work. I like that too. Um, Vasher against Drayshon Miller is going to be really interesting to me. Vasher's been left side before he's right side this year. He's been, been there a bunch, but he doesn't do anything down the field. Uh, he's like a short. He's just one for eight on deep passes. Um, and as lines up and goes, or doesn't line up, but he, he catches balls everywhere. He's all over the field. His, um, his catch chart is pretty interesting. It's like all the different grids. He's very active. The one guy who doesn't get mentioned, and I think they really missed him against Iowa State, he didn't play, was Keyshawn Carter. Um, he's first in the team in receptions. He's second in yards. He's first in touchdowns. And he's a machine. Um, targeted 24 times, 21 catches, and 16 for 18 when he's targeted over the middle. Um, mm. That's going to be a guy that they have to keep an eye on, too, because that's what they do with him. I mean, he's that typical air raid you know, work the middle guy who's going to make plays on you, and he can turn short stuff into long stuff, and they didn't have him. The passing game really struggled because the backup wasn't quite what they wanted to be. Um, and, again, if you can lock down those two outside guys, you don't have to worry so much about the middle. It's the complete opposite. I feel like Carter's kind of an X factor there, too. I don't know who draws him or how they cover him. It's not going to be you put one guy on him. But all the attention given to Ezukanma and Basher outside. So, um, the I worry about the most if I'm on defense is, is Carter because he's very efficient, very effective, and they like to get him involved. And just wasn't there last game. I imagine they wanted to make a difference now that he's back. So I feel like so far through the season, the rest of the defense. I'm trying trying to figure out how to say this without because it, it's going to come out bad. So give me a second to to write it after I say. I it like wrong. it. I like um, it. 
I, I feel like the rest of the defense has been so good and they've run such a scheme that the talent everywhere else has helped hide the cornerbacks. And let me continue. The cornerbacks have been fine. I think they've been good when they've been targeted, but they haven't been targeted. They haven't been put on an island as much as a cornerback typically is in this league and in college football, period. So I think this week is going to be the the first true test for those guys. The first time, I assume it's going to be the first true test. Maybe it still won't be, depending on the quarterback, but I think this is the first time they're really going to have a test. Your thoughts? Yep, I think so too. And this is this is a crazy stat too. It's the Big 12. Um, passing is still fancy. It's not the same thing that it was, obviously, but people still want to do it. Seven straight games, West Virginia has not allowed 300 yards passing. Last time they did, Jet Duffy, 300 yeah. yards for Texas Tech last year. But they've been pretty good. And I know that the, the personnel has changed and the coaching has changed a little bit. But you, you look at their defenses, and it's it's pretty similar. And I think I touched on this in the screen share. They don't, they're not exotic. They don't do a whole bunch of, like, different coverages. I don't think they move around nearly as much as they did last year. We're shifting and all that stuff and trying to confuse you before the snap. But, man, they do a lot of different stuff in the same look. And I think that can be confusing, too. I think we get carried away sometimes with, you know, change the pictures. And the quarterback, you know, don't let him see the same thing because then he gets comfortable. And I get that. You don't want to have him stare at a 4-2-5 that's conventional and it just behaves the same after the snap. But, man, imagine what it does if you're staring at the same 4-2-5 and you're anticipating it to act the same after the snap and it's always doing something different. And that's why little things about, like, playing Josh Chandler out on the, the boundary of, like, a short corner – that screws with you, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're worried about those guys in the box coming after you, especially when they get in a third and long, where they're forcing a ton of third and longs or getting off the field because of that. But, you know, they, they're not too exotic before the Maybe, you know, I feel like you, you could probably answer some questions here because, again, their streak of 300 yard games, that's legitimate. That's seven games. That's not an accident. Um, and then Texas Tech averages 300 yards a game, three, 310 actually, and that's what they're going to do. Their running game hasn't been it lately. It's been unreliable, up and down, two hits, two misses so far. And they put this quarterback in charge for a reason. Is he supposed to throw 400? No. He's supposed to win? Yeah. 300? I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. Can he deliver? I don't know. That's a that's that's probably where this comes down to. I agree with you. whoever wins the script, and I agree with our strength versus strength and weak, weakness versus weakness, but if they pass the ball against West Virginia, that's going to be a problem for the Mountaineers. So strength for strength, weakness for weakness, passing, running. What what takes you got on long snapper versus long snapper? Is that what this game is going to come down to, Mike? No, that's all Kyle Plum. <laughs> I even like the depth. The depth chart is better for West Virginia. You got J.P. Hadley just, just holding a clipboard? Yeah. Serious? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, how many other teams did he snap for in the Big 12? Let me see here. One. Two and their long snapper is pretty good. One, two, three, four. I mean, he would JP Hadley would snap for five other teams in the Big 12, at least. I, I think my favorite part is I would absolutely believe that you have a a long snapper power <laughs> ranking. <laughs> just just handy. Just right there. Just ready to go. Like that's well, yeah, that sounds right. Well, you said something nice about you said something nice about me. Let me say something nice about you. These are coming into the text from game day line now. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. All right, I'm just going to use the one this week. I have a couple in case they don't come through quite as much. Enjoy the pod. Agree with all the praise. I just want to say, Chris is very tall. Chris is very tall. 
There you go. True. Hey, what? It, it, here's the thing, though. I, I'm getting anonymous, private, uh, hey, he doesn't totally suck uh, comments, which is <laughs> which is pleasant. I enjoy it very much. But look at you, Mr. Big Shot, getting a, a, a very public social media call out from former all-conference point guard, Juwan Staten. Uh, finally getting around to your book yeah. uh, 10 years later. But, uh, you know, I like it. Uh, that's I like that they're, they're, actually, they're actually making them read in class. Yeah. It, 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 who's reading. that teacher? Is that, is that a friend? That's got to be a friend. Is that a friend? Or is that sports uh, journalism class? It's sports management. So oh, it's grad management. school. Okay. Uh, in the past, I've been, I've been invited in to speak to some of the classes. And it's the book is... Listen, uh, Phil Kasky is his name. He used to be a sports information director at West Virginia. He is a teacher now, and he still teaches grad school classes on the side. He's invited me in to speak to his class before, and I don't know if it was because the questions kept spinning back to the book or if he read the book and then realized it, but that that book has a million examples of PR and how to and how not to, mm-hmm. and he used to use it for assigned reading, um, and I would go in and I would speak to his class every semester. This this semester is obviously so screwed up that I haven't been invited in. Maybe I was bad last time. I don't know. But I'm kind of blaming it on the pandemic. But it appears that that it was still assigned reading there. And then uh, I'm going to have to check my check my uh, with my publisher. I do have a publisher and see how many books he's sold in the past like 36 hours because that's uh, the Juwan State bump is significant. There you go. Uh, make sure you. Uh... How much commission do you have? Do you have to? Do we have to put a little uh, little asterisk on this and have somebody talk real fast <laughs> and say that you know Jawan Staten might get a cut of this revenue? No, 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 no. I like Jawan. He's not getting a cut of the revenue though. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's uh, going on in the basketball court? What's that? Guys are making shots. Uh, perimeter shooting is refreshing. I, like I don't want to get into it because it might be right. It might be wrong. It just feels like we're going down the same road again and we, we know where it ends. So uh, we also know where this ends here. Let's get this done right now. Um, hold on, hold on, hold we'll on. Also have, wait, wait, give me, give me two this. more minutes, oh, Mike. Give me two more minutes. Because oh, yeah, yeah, okay. you, you brought up the basketball. This is your fault. I have to ask you this question because there was one thing. One thing I just oh, want to yeah. cover. Let's do this. Let's NBA scouts are calling. He said pro scouts are calling, not NBA specifically, to talk with him. The first person out of their mouth, I believe, was the exact quote, is not Oscar, it's not Derek, it's Deuce McBride. One, do you believe that? Two, Deuce McBride, NBA point guard? Question mark? It's a great October 23rd story. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's a video that we upload to the CBS server, and we put it out there. Watch. Bob Huggins says scouts are asking about one player, and people click on it. Um, is it reasonable to think that he's an NBA player? Yeah, I think so. Next year, I don't think so. But he might have a great year. I'll just say this. like They've been talking to people. where Any reporter who calls and stops by, they talk up McBride. Because you see everybody talking about one of the most improved players in the Big 12 poised for a breakout season. How the heck do we know? Like who's who's telling John Rothstein that? Right? <laughs> it's not it's not some opponent that scouted him or whatever. It's not some scout. So like they're they're talking him up for good reason. Listen, he's got the pedigree and and he performed well enough last year. I think he can point him in that direction too. Um I would still want to know about Shibway probably. I'm not sure anybody's asking about Culver. So it's probably a short list. Yeah. Um I'll tell you the guy that people are pretty happy with over there is Thweet. 
Mm-hmm. That guy looks like he's a man, and and I don't know how you keep him in a red shirt all season. The trouble is that Huggins even mentioned this yesterday. Like they're not going to play a lot of guys early in the season because they don't have an exhibition or a scrimmage. So they might go the whole tournament and just play vets. I'm not sure what freshman plays in that tournament. Do you think one plays? Mm. Johnson's know. a junior freshman, college transfer. Yeah, he's not playing. So. No, I doubt Wheat so. would play. It's tough. Tough. They don't have a lot of freshmen, I guess, but like who what newcomers playing in that tournament? Probably not anybody, I would guess. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be hard, but the core is still pretty good. Yeah, I heard that and I thought, okay, that's that's interesting. But here here's what happens now. When they're when they're four and three in Big Twelve play, and Huggins is lamenting that people pay too much attention to mock drafts and what outsiders are saying. Are we gonna remember this conversation? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or are we gonna say, Yeah, he's right, these kids, darn it. I don't know. It just seems like one of those things we have to stick in our hat just in case. But hey, McBride's, McBride's good. I wouldn't be surprised if people have um, their eye on him in the future. And his future is probably going to have to be as a one or a combo guard. Is, is he going to be an NBA two? Is he big enough to do that? Probably probably not, right? Yeah. But can they turn him into a Carter and give him three years increasingly on the ball? Why not? It's worked before. It could work again. Yeah. I, I just say, I don't think it's right. It just very much caught me uh, off guard. And I was like, that is... Like you said, that is absolutely going to be the the clickbait headline all across the interwebs for the next couple of weeks because that that was that was something that was an October twenty third to- uh, topic for sure. I love it. All right, do you have anything else? No, no, I'm not going to interrupt you anymore. Let's let's wrap it. All up. right, we got lots of stuff coming on late game on Saturday, so uh, don't abandon the website. We'll have plenty of content, including Jared Day's homecoming, some more videos from players and coaches, including uh, Nick Troy Fortune, who was just. <laughs> A revelation this week first time we've gotten to talk to him and man what a guy really fun to talk to but talks about how prepared he thinks this team is and you can tell there's a confidence in him um about this defense that's probably encouraging based on everything that we just talked about for the last hour or so and then of course fresh set sometime i don't know we're gonna surprise you could be tonight could be tomorrow morning we'll see and then chris i'm sure you're gonna keep yourself busy as well yeah we got the three key matchups up we'll have a couple more videos up i'll have a contact uh content recap for the week uh in case you haven't noticed um content's up content uh i think i think i originally started that and the opening paragraph was like hey we're averaging six articles a day uh that number's closer to eight or nine now so um it's a lot of stuff and we'll have it all there for you in one spot and for those who are listening that are not already members this is only running for the next couple days two months one dollar two months of vip for one dollar Two months will get you covered for the entire football season, the start of basketball season, basketball signing day, and football signing day. Um, I mean, a buck for all that is kind of crazy. So make sure you take advantage of that before before CBS pulls that promo. Yeah. Uh, clever by the promo people because you can't do it Saturday. If they win Saturday, it's too late. Yeah. So do it before you got a chance. For a dollar, too, that's that's wild. The start of basketball season, too, looks like it's going to be pretty interesting, too, with, um again, unknown, untold volatility. And we'll have Zooms with Huggins to sort it all out, too. So, yeah, great deal. Wish you wouldn't promote it as much because it keeps money out of our pockets. But, hey, it is what it is, right? Yeah, it is. All right. Well, that's all for this time. Until next time, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. He's serious to, like, six foot four, guys. <laughs> we'll talk to you later.